you are going to love today's guest. Tamara Andrus is one of the most joyful people I've ever met. She's a five-time best-selling author. Her Fit in Faith podcast is 0.3% globally. She's a thought leader for spiritual entrepreneurship. She's a speaker, a coach. She hosts events. She's also the president of a nonprofit called Founder Collective. She led the podcast school, which made this podcast be the person happen. Without her, I wouldn't have been able to do this. So she's a personal friend, and I love this lady. She loves Jesus, and you're going to see that in today's podcast. She shares so much gold on how to live everyday life. Jeff and I are hosting the trip of a lifetime next April in Italy. It's at a five-star resort in Tuscany for the first four days. It includes biking, wine tasting, a private cooking class, all organic food. There'll be time for massages and workouts. The next two days will be spent exploring Rome with some unique tours. We would love for you to join us. I'll put the link in the show notes for additional information or message me. We hope to see you there. I've got a question for you. Who's the person you're being? Are you satisfied? It's okay. This is a judge-free zone, and it's exactly why I started the show. Welcome to Be The Person, a podcast for the brave and the curious who are ready to explore who they are fully created to be. I'm your host, Annie Randall, the adventurous one leading this investigative journey of transformation. By delving into topics and asking unexpected questions, we will discover the keys for unlocking our true potential and being our best selves today. You may be surprised by what you find when you let go of fear in order to discover the answers of becoming the person you were made to be. I am so excited to have my friend and colleague and really my mentor, um, Tamara Andrus, be on with us today. Welcome to the Be The Person podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited. It's like surreal that I get to be on the other side of the camera after all the ideation that has gone into it. And so I am excited to serve your community. Absolutely. Well, they're going to get so much value. I know from hearing from you and a little backstory. We met about a year and a half ago, almost two years at Embrace Your Ambition, a conference here in Denver. We were both speakers there. I went the following year and to be honest, I didn't really want to go. And I went, um, not that I didn't want to go, but you know, when you just feel like you're overwhelmed and have a lot on your plate. A hundred percent. All the time. Yes. (laughs) The minute I walked in, I was like, oh my gosh, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. I need to be. The messaging was amazing. But then you also auctioned off a podcast school. And I wanted to start a podcast for a long time, but just didn't have the know-how or honestly the ability on my own to sit down for three days and yes. just do it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like it was a God calling to say, you're supposed to be here and you were so gracious to do that. I'm so my- grateful you got to come. And honestly, that's like my only methodology of learning and then activating 
I have to be able to do it in a succinct time frame where that's my only like intention. Because if I do like one of those courses, like coursework, I'm terrible at. Because unless I'm sitting down and I'm going to binge listen to all of it and then do the thing, I'm not going to follow through. And so I know how I am. And I know based on the limited capacity of wearing all the hats, as all of us women like to do so, so well and fashionably, um, we, we aren't going to actually do what we're being prompted to. And so I get so excited when people come to this because I know it's something they've been simmering on for a long time. And then to see it actually in action, it's so fun. So grateful to be here. Yeah. I love that you do that. And like you said, just take time to sit down and do it because it wouldn't have got done. And I'm really grateful to be here. And even all your grace in my flight got canceled to go to the school. I had to do the first one via Zoom and it still worked out great. You just helped me all along the process. I'm so glad. Yeah. And yeah, that's one of the things of just resiliency, right? One of our, our shared friends, Amberly Lago, um, love her so much. And we talk about the element of it. You just keep going. You just take the next step and it doesn't always look clean and perfect and put together. It can look gritty and grindy and messy. And yet it's a part of the joy of the other side and looking back and reflecting and also being able to encourage other people to do the same. I mean, that's truly even the mess of, of what can be uh, developing your body or creating new muscle, right? It's all connected. It's all the same storyline. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. Well, let's dive into your story because you you do so much and I love all the things you do. But the thing about you that stands out the most to me is you just are so joyful. Like you just I don't know, like joy flows out of you. And I just love that about you. But can you take us back? Because I that's not always been your story. And start, I guess, wherever you want to start. Yeah. And, uh, tell us how you got to the place you're at. Yeah, I will say that since I was little, there's always those things that people speak over you. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's negative. So we're not talking to the trauma side here. I've had some of that stuff too. But People always told me that I would light up a room. My mom and dad would tell me, my teachers would tell me, oh, she just lights up a room. And I would take that as a compliment and, and just basically smile. I thought it was just kind of, I got a great smile and that's what that means. I didn't know anything about energy. I didn't know anything about joy. I just knew that I could walk in a space and I could change the atmosphere. And as I grew and understood a little bit more about some of the scientific elements of that, I also realized what like my spiritual realm and how my spirit, it kind of precedes you into a place. And so I had a lot of heartache, a lot of heartbreak around developing this sense of who I was because I thought the only thing that I was, was a light. I was this happy person. And so if I walked into a place and I wasn't wearing that mask and I, it became like the mask, like the, the Jim Carrey movie where you can't take it off and you don't know what to do. You don't know who that other person is in the shadows. It was an expectation that I fulfilled in all of my relationships. Even as a daughter, I was like a mediator between my parents for a long season of life. Um, I was, oh, I was a middle child. So I was kind of like, trying to make this relationship work on this side and trying to make this person happy on this side. And every arena I went into, I was happy. And when I was 29, I had what I call my quarter life crisis or my tombstone moment where happiness had um, exploded and exploded in the, the bad way. 
Um, basically, I couldn't contain the pressure of just being happy anymore. I had lived that American dream lifestyle, went to college, went to business school, got out, had all these different entrepreneurial endeavors, um, got married, had two kids almost back to back and was running two successful businesses, one as an e-commerce and a brick and mortar store, and one as a global e-commerce store um, as a nursing brawl, maternity, kind of like fitness sector was where I was kind of housed. And I was not any of the things that I knew that I had prayed for when I was a little girl or that I really wanted to be. I felt out of alignment all the time. I felt unhappy all the time. And being unhappy and having to put on a smile is so difficult. And so in this season, I had to be faced with some real hard conversations on who am I? And it was the first time that I ever did identity work. It was the first time that I ever had mental health counseling or even understood what that was. It was the first time that I couldn't go to the gym because I couldn't look at my body. I had a lot of... Um, just image issues. I couldn't look at myself in the mirror for about 30 days. I just felt like a shadow of the person that I had become. And so I am now on the other side of that. And when I finally was able to unlock joy, it was about, I would say, two-ish years past that point where I had been daily putting in the work in a lot of different ways. And we can talk about that um, that I actually realized that, wow, my identity and the reason in which I could light up a room had nothing to do with my smile because I can light up a room with or without my smile. I can light up my room with that inner peace, with that ability of knowing that I'm here on purpose and that I am excited because I'm going to connect with somebody who's in that room, whether I know it or not. Wow. I think that Honestly, we have a similar journey because at 28, I had a very similar experience Oh wow! of waking up and just not knowing who I was and continually up until that point, putting on different masks to try and please people Yep, and having to go down that road of counseling and mental health and figuring out who am I, who am I created to be and what am I created to do? And that's, that was a long journey for me. Yes. And it still is. That's why my book is called Always Becoming, because I am not anywhere. I'm just not where I was then. And I'm so grateful for that. But there's still more of this becoming journey and there's still more learning that has to happen. And I think when I embraced that part of our journey, that it's not about the destination, you hear that. So um, it's about that actual, the process and the developing seasons and the uncovering and the failure that then leads to the new lesson that learned that now you have a learned element on the other side of that, that's the messy middle. And so we're all in this messy middle. And if we can learn to embrace it as fun, as play, uh, like we did when we were little, when we messed up, when we were small, it was like, no big deal. You just get back on and go to the playground again. You're going dust, to uh, dust, dust off your knees and meet a new friend. And you, you keep going on the journey and there's no shame connected to it. But I had so much shame and that shame led to like body dysmorphia that led to suicidal ideation that led to almost losing my marriage and my children. Um, and so that's really when we talk about like being the person. And that's what this podcast is all about. The being is the releasing of the identity that is not you of the fictitious identity that 
society has put on you, other people have projected on you, and really standing in the fullness of who you were created to be, quirks and all. Yeah. And do you think that, you know, you talk about it is be the person. And I was trying to be the person that everyone else wanted me to be. Sure. Do you feel like that was the case for sure? You? sure. Yeah. Or even what, and I say everyone else, like sometimes it was a person, like I could name that person who wanted me to be this particular way. Um, it's also society. Like for a long time, I was, I was projected to be this genre of a woman that as a woman, my body was meant to be used this way. It had to look this particular way when it came to relationships or men, I was supposed to be this trophy. Um, I was supposed to act or wear this particular thing. I had to dance like this, right. In order for me to be perceiving as perceived as beautiful or perceived as worthy or perceived as even fit, right, in my physicality, even like, oh, she looks good. And when I got to this place and I started to doing the heart work versus the exterior work, that inner deep work that people talk about, um, that is also really messy and tears are involved and it's not, it's not towels are involved. Like literally, I'm not a tissue. I needed towels, y'all. It was not cute. But connected to all of that, I, I had the revelation of that my identity didn't rest in their expectations and what was being projected onto me were lies. And so I think a lot of times society has this at-large momentum herd mentality towards an idea and it's actually the people who are willing to be brave enough to stand against that, that actually hone in on their joy and the truth of their identity. Absolutely. Yes. You mentioned before too, shame. Where did that shame come from? Because I think so many people carry that with them and they think they're the only one. When, where did it, I guess it come from? And how did you recognize that? Yeah. So this is really where like the meat and potatoes of my story comes in because I've realized a couple of things. One, the statistics are actually um, more true than you know when it comes to sexual abuse, especially for women. And also the, the connectivity to shame and the way in which we walk shame out with suppression mechanisms that are deemed normal in society. Um, so we'll start at what those suppression mechanisms are and I'll work my way backwards to what that moment was um, because I didn't at three years old call it shame. I didn't know what was even happening, right? You don't even know. But I had done so much in the suppression category. If it came to wearing that mask, if it came to eating, if it came to physical exertion and getting my body into a particular physical fitness, um, it came to the accolades and the achievements it came to um, suppression now of, of shopping, right? Or now it's so deemed normal if you're drinking um, because everybody drinks. Everyone goes to five o'clock happy hour somewhere. Um, and all of these, these different titles that we start to blanket on ourselves, it's like we're carrying all these bags and all of these bricks and we have no idea what we actually look like naked in front of the mirror. And so I got to that place where I was naked in front of the mirror. And I told you all, I didn't like what I saw. And a lot of the reasons I didn't like what I saw was connected to shame of actions that I had taken as an adult because of the shame that I had been carrying since I was a child. Now, some suppression, and there's a specific meth, um, medical term for it, but you've suppressed it so much that you don't remember, okay? That was what this sexual abuse scenario was for me. I was about three sessions in with the counselor that has been 
actually many years later, uh, was able to remarry my husband and I. I mean, she literally was a godsend on so many levels. I highly recommend you getting someone who has um, a shared faith value system to you. That's, that's your therapist. So they know medical and they also know your faith journey because that's really important to our spiritual beings as well as our mental health. So um, she was about three sessions in and she told me that I needed to read this book. And I'm like, I, I'm like, I don't know what this is, even means. It was called No Stones. I can't off the top of my head remember what the um, subtitle was, but the concept was that I was a sex addict. And I'm like, well, I've, I can count on how many hands, like who I've been with. Like, I'm not addicted to pornography. I, I don't think that that's accurate. And she's like, okay, well, if you would just read it, I just see some symmetries here. And I just think it'd be a really good time for you to just take some time out and read it. All right. So I start reading this book and I'm in chapter three and I fall to the floor in fetal position. And I realize that this woman's life story is mirroring my life story. And we're only three chapters in. And I remember just crying out my husband coming in and I'm just, again, a snotty mess. I'm so grateful that we're still married. He got saw me past the snotty days. There's probably more to come. Um, but he, I just told him, uh, I remembered something that I forgotten and I've never told anyone about it and I'm going to tell you. And so I ended up sharing with him that I was sexually abused by a child that was much bigger, a size of a man. He actually had a mental handicap as well. And so it was in the guise and the space of my, my mom's daycare at the time. So I was just right outside and I remember it happened over and over again. And I remember he would um, shush my mouth and, and, and just the process of that silencing, it happens to us. A lot of women have been silenced from something that's happened to them in their life um, or something that they've chose to do as well, because there's definitely actions that I raised my hand to later in life that were elements of suppression from that. And so it's just interesting that shame can start anywhere at any age. And when I understood that undressed moment in the mirror, that this is what I have to face and I have to get this away from me so that I can find myself beautiful in the way that the Lord sees me and in the way that I want my husband to see me. And it, it was an undressing season, if you will. And when I finally got to that place of like, wow, like I am beautifully and wonderfully made, this shame no longer controls me. Um, I was able to write my story. And when I finally wrote it all out and put it in a book, now, whenever anything comes up, because there's, you know, there's those triggers that can happen within us to like get us back to a place. I now just get to look at this book and point to it and be like, no, the enemy doesn't have control over my mind or my body or my spirit. The shame sits on that bookshelf. It's actually right behind me if you're watching it. It yeah. sits over here. And so it doesn't actually engulf me and it doesn't distract me and it doesn't keep me from living out my life or from being beautiful because I put it in a book and it can stay over there. Yeah. Wow. There is so much to your story and we see shame carried with us all this time, but to be able to go back and really unpack where it came from. And like you said, we all carry around backpacks that are really heavy until we start letting go of some of those bricks. Yeah. And actually that particular um, therapist had me do a training 
um, session one time where I had to take a brick and I had to put all of these words on it. And essentially they were the words in which they were um, identity titles. And we're kind of talking about that now, identity traits or titles or labels that people have given me. And um, I actually had to pass it back to people and like literally physically give a brick back to people whose bricks I had been carrying and I could no longer carry. And it was such a like divine moment every time it happened because you realize the shame that that person had that they had given you their brick in the first place and that they had in, in tried and seemingly wanted to empower and wanted to look like it was a trust fall to give this shame to you, to give you this problem, to make you carry this weight for them. Um, it seemed noble. It seemed like I was being the good friend and the great listener and the good daughter. And yet it was actually making me drowned. And so giving those bricks back was freeing. And it was also um, some really deep conversations that I cherish to this day. I'm sure that was difficult to hand that brick back, both for you and the person getting the brick. Yeah, yeah it definitely was. And, and so whether or not somebody ever actually does that after listening to the show, or it's just a, a mental process that you go through, I highly, highly recommend it because it was it, the physical element of it was really important for my body. Um, because I don't think we realize as women, and, and you know this more than anyone, um, the amount of what these bags or bricks that we're talking about it is stress and what stress does to the body and how we actually respond out of a place of stress. You know, a lot of people will call it tired. A lot of people will call it busy, but it's really just overachieving because they don't want to sit in the shame or they don't want to sit in the heaviness of those bricks or the stress. Um, it could be in, in anxiety or depression. It could be in physical, like even cancers, I really believe are stemmed from places of stress in the bags and the bricks that we carry that we were never meant to. I would agree. And I think just releasing some of those back can have such an amazing impact on you, both physically and mentally, yeah. I think, together. You talk a lot about being fit. Your brand is Fit in Faith, and you're super active. You do a spin class podcast, which I'm amazed <laughs> at how you do uh, each week. But yet, that isn't when you think of fit that isn't it's not a number on the scale to you can you talk a little bit about what what does that mean to you yeah and you guys are hearing like bits and pieces of it all come together but when i got past this season of oh gosh it just felt like i had muddy rain boots on every single day it was just like clunking through but when i got to the place where like that rainbow was which you can see as my brand in all the things that i do it was that promise that you're never going to have to go through that again. And what you learned in this season is it, everything you're going to need to take with you moving forward. And ultimately what fit became to me was mind, body, and soul alignment. And I had zero idea what that meant. And this was back in, let's see, 2017. So I think uh, a lot of it was before a lot of the things that you hear, mind, body, spirit alignment, mind, body, soul alignment, mind, body. You don't, I don't hear it then. I literally was on my own individual journey and these were just personal revelations that I was having. And so I wanted to go on an adventure. My podcast was the first part of that adventure where I just wanted to sit with people. I wanted to hear their stories of how they became fit in faith. And was it a mental health crisis? Was it a physical health crisis? Was it 
what is the dark, you know, messy success stories and to that brought you to sustenance. And I think ultimately it's this knowing that on the days that I am on in my healthiest version of self, I've woken up, I've done that pedal and preach session. I've had my Bible time that morning. I've gotten to make the kids lunch and it, greet my husband as he comes down with a hot cup of coffee. Like I'm just in rhythm, right? Like I am in tune. There is one thing that could go wrong. And I think ultimately it always has to do with our mental capacity that creates this cycle of debilitation. And so having a mindset that is, is always being renewed and also protected. You know, people talk about affirmations and meditation and all of that. Um, for me, it's really scripture because I want it to be premised on what I believe is fully truth. Um, but if it's, if I am not fit in my faith, then that will actually catapult to not just a bad day, but a bad season and not just a bad season, but bad mistakes and not just a bad mistakes, but an opportunity for the enemy to be injected into every part of my life. And that's what happened previously. And so I feel like I've been able to create this armor of protection around my identity and who I'm called to be. Um, even my purpose is, is secure inside of this armor. And so I don't have to worry about that day in and day out anymore, but it took constant endurance and it still takes constant um, nurturing for that to be in main maintenance. Can you tell us practically how you do that? Because I, I think a lot of people would hear that and say, yeah, I agree. That's great. But sitting in your shoes of, I know how busy you are. You run companies, you do retreats, you do, you're a best-selling author. There's so much of a family and two kids how do you, what, what does it look like on a weekly basis for you? Yeah, I would say the conversation that my husband and I bring it back to, and this is in my book as well, is like this concept of landscape design. And landscape design initiated this conversation in our home, started in the kitchen. And um, for those who are, are fitness influencers or you, you know, you're just on a journey of being healthy, this concept works every single time. Essentially, what is available to you inside of your pantry, you are going to consume. So if you have more sweets, the sweets will be consumed. If you have chips, the chips are going to be eaten. If you have um, noodles that must be cooked in order to be eaten, then you might save that for last and push those to the back until you have no choice, right? So we look to landscape design in our life just like we do in our kitchen. Um, first off, you're, it's an 80-20 concept. You can eat everything out of the fridge, try and save all the pantry to the minimal. Um, but if we do this same thing with other elements of our life, then we're living out something that is safe and for good and for God. But if we're doing something where we're doing the 20% and we know we shouldn't, there's going to be results. And so let's talk about it practically. And this has been not a one day turn on the light switch, y'all. So I come to every time I come to a podcast, whether I'm the recipient and on this side of the chair or I'm the host, I actually say a prayer about the desired conviction. God, convict me of something new so that I can become more like you. Simple prayer. And I have had a lot of convictions and the landscape design of my life looks like some might say very um, religious. And I'll tell you what some of those things are. We have been sober as a family for the last four and a half years. So we don't drink. Um, we do not, we work out on a consistent basis. And so it's the antithesis of 
um, gluttony, and it's also the antithesis of sloth. We move our bodies. We're very conscientious of that. I don't listen to secular music. So here I am thinking about not only my mouth after what I'm consuming, but also my ears. Um, so I listen to Christian music only. And um, if it's something new and trendy and my kids bring it home from school, we will turn the lyrics into Christian songs so that they can still be alongside the tunes, but in their head, they're reciting things that are real and raw and true and not something that is blanketing lies over top of them. Um, other things are like my reading materials. Um, I do have daily scriptures and daily, I'm going through the Bible in a year right now. So if I miss a day, I'm catching up the following day at double time, um, but I am going to worship and I am, I'm having that prayer life that is powerful and constant. It's not a time on my schedule. It's um, living in a posture of prayer every single day. Um, I also believe it's about the people that you're surrounding yourself with. So we know the Jim Rohn quote is you're the sum of the five people you're with. Um, I think that there should be not only those sum should also represent the fivefold ministry in the church. Um, if you don't know what that is, I'll, I'll just go over it briefly, but it's the apostolic anointing, a pastor, um, a intercessor. So somebody who's praying for you. It's not just about you being good at that. It's somebody else taking care of you in that. The evangelist, the one who's always talking and sharing more about the story of the good news um, and the teacher. And so do you have those people in your life on a consistent basis so that we can stand in maturity because if I'm always becoming, then I'm always growing. But if I am leaning into something culture is doing or a teacher that hasn't gone somewhere that I know I also want to go, then I'm going to end up taking the wrong steps and being in the wrong place. Thank you. Thank you for sharing those because sometimes I think we get caught up in, I don't know if theory is the right word, but it sounds good. But then when you think, how do I do it? It yeah. becomes challenging to think of yeah. those steps. And I think a lot of times, even as people are like, tell me your morning routine, that literally is my morning routine. I do the same thing pretty much every single morning. Um, and yet at the same time, I am always open to play. And I think we forget as adults, like we take ourselves so seriously. We take our lives and our schedules so seriously. And I think when we get into a mindset and a heart set of like, I just want to play today. I just want to create something new today that even just this conversation, it's not just a conversation for a podcast check onto the thing. It's like, what can me and Annie create today? What can we do and leave in the earth that feels playful, that feels impactful, that feels like it's worth my time and energy and that it's going to be worth the time and energy of the listener thereafter. This is where we actually create impact. And if we're doing it outside of play and it's just boring regimen, we'll stop. And so are there days that I'm like, man, I, I want to have a different regimen? Not really, because there's a play connected to it. There's an excitement. When I sit in that chair, that same chair, when I'm home, my kids know, like it's our revival chair. It's the only time I sit in the chair. Like I'm expectant that there's going to be something new. And so I don't go to my, even my workouts. And if I get into a workout regime that I start getting bored with, you better bet I'm about to shift it because otherwise I'll get bored and I'll not do the thing. So I think that we're speaking probably to a lot of people who want to be or become something new. And I would say the first place to start and to really receive that spirit of conviction is what's boring to you right now? What is feeling so mundane? What is feeling like it takes all of your energy? What brick are you carrying day in and day out that you could set down today and it wouldn't 
be about what anybody else thinks about it. It would be what space are you making because you're laying those things down. Wow. I'm listening and I'm thinking of a couple of things. One, a couple of things I need to change and a couple of things I need to make more playful and fun so that I keep doing them. I love yeah. those ideas. Yeah. What would one of those things be that you want to play more in? I think just with my kids of, you know, it can be so serious, especially now they're in high school. I have one that's a senior. It's like, are the college applications done? Is this done? Is that? And there's a lot to do. Yeah. And instead, just taking time to be like, how, how can we enjoy each other? Um, because we know that time is limited, that, yeah. you know, we only have so many more months until it's a new stage of life. Yes, it's so yeah. crazy. And I think that goes for any parent at any age, right? Like, I'll, I'll be transparent. One of the hardest things that I'm walking through right now is my, my dad is an alcoholic. He has been for a really long time um, since I was about 14, so nearing 23 years. And um, that's a really hard thing to walk through as a daughter who just wants her dad's attention and just wants to be like, I don't need him to necessarily be proud of me because I know he's proud of me. And I also know he loves the heck out of me. Um, I still light up a room and he tells me every time. Um, but there's just this like yearning for something more. And I know when I look to the outside of his life, it's because he stopped playing. And so I just encourage anyone, no matter how old or young they are, whether you're the parent or the child, like in your relationship, be intentional about play, especially dating your spouse. Like that's the most fun that we have is when we're playing. And that's what like cements our memories is when we are playing together. Yeah. Wow. Just such great ideas that I'm going to take and implement this weekend. So thank you. Yay. Good. Um, tell me a little bit about, I know that you've had a struggle. You've talked about it with body image. Yeah. And I imagine, I know that this is the case for me too. Like that was something I really, really struggled with yeah. for a lot of years until I could finally kind of like you look in the mirror and say, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with it Yeah. instead of, and it doesn't come from that happiness doesn't come from having the perfect physique or being a certain size. It comes from knowing where your value is. But tell me a little bit about that journey for you. What did that look like? So you you talk about not being able to look in the mirror. And now that you can, can you walk us through that? Yeah. So when I was like 13, 14 years old, I, um, for a long time, since I was three, actually, I was in gymnastics. And so around 13 or 14 years old, I started um, not doing competitive gymnastics. I was still doing gymnastics through my high school, but I, my body started to shift because I was going from, you know, 20 plus hours a week in the gym to maybe like five hours a week in the gym. And I remember my sweet Nana who meant nothing by it. And she didn't necessarily have the figure to even speak into it. But I remember walking in from school and my Nana being there and she just called out the fact that I was gaining weight oh, you're getting a little pudgy. What's going on with your stomach? Now as a 13 or 14 year old, like that's the last thing you want to hear. I also had braces at the time. So I was just in that really awkward season of my life. And um, that really affected me. I really held tight to like, oh my gosh, if my Nana is thinking that, and th what are all these people thinking? And remember for me, it was also like a projection of what are all these guys thinking? And so I really tried to be conscientious of everything that I was eating. Um, working out. My dad also being in fitness, um, he would take my body fat, which sounds 
terrible for people who are listening. They're like, why would you do that to your daughter? But it was kind of like a playful. We lived in a really healthy um, house. And so it wasn't negative, but it still was something that was happening. And I don't know that I would pull a, a, a body fat gun out on my 14 year old daughter. I, I don't know that I would. I don't know. I have a son who is like number one jujitsu player in the world. Number two, actually working towards one. And he's really mindful about his body and his weight. And he's only 10. So I don't know. I, I'm not judging anybody who does that or my parents in that regard, because I'm sure it was something I welcomed. But moving forward into being a woman um, and still having this idea of what I was supposed to be and look like, I actually ended up getting a breast augmentation really young. And um, I remember standing in the mirror at that moment and feeling like everything that I ever thought I wanted, I didn't want anymore. And I was in the healing phase. So for those who have had that happen to them, like it's kind of, it's shocking to your body in a lot of different ways. Um, but as I settled into becoming a woman, especially after having kiddos, I realized that all of the things that I thought were beautiful um, were lies. And I just had to deconstruct what truth was, deconstruct the lies and rebuild it with truth. And so being able to birth my children, like that is bananas that we can make babies in our womb, ladies. Like that's crazy. It's a superpower to be able to nurse them. Like that was just absolutely just amazing to me. I will never like, I still want that. I like, honestly, whenever I hear babies, I like still have to cross my chest because I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to nurse right now. Like, I just love what the human body, the woman's body specifically can do. And when I started to embrace that side of my life, I realized that, yeah, I want to feel fit. Yeah, I want to feel good when I put my jeans on. Yeah, I know what it feels like to be toned and strong and what it feels like to be lazy and lethargic. And I know the, the positives and the negatives of moving versus not moving and releasing that energy and endorphin versus not. But ultimately for me, it comes back to that, that all-encompassing alignment of mind, body, and spirit. And when I know mentally that I'm doing the thing I'm supposed to do, physically, the results are going to happen. Like I don't even have to question it. It will happen because I know what happens when I put the right food in my body and I fuel it and what happens when I put the right thoughts into my mind and what happens when I am intimate with my husband in a way that only he gets to call me beautiful. And so I think it really goes back to like, it's not one thing. It's all encompassing but I don't own a scale. I don't step on a scale. I don't measure my body fat. I know when I am in the wellest shape and when I am in that ick phase, you know? And everyone on the outside would be like, Tamara's so skinny. But the skinny culture is a lie because I have, I work hard. You work hard for the body that you have. And though I might have a smaller frame and other people might respond differently, Nobody is meant to be morbidly obese. It's not God's plan for them. It's truly not. And this can get, you know, friction filled for people who are dealing with diseases connected to that or things that can't keep them in that space. But if you're following the nutritional pattern of 80-20 even, I like to do 90-10 personally, but what you are eating, what's going into your mouth will come out somewhere or it will stay somewhere. And so my kids think that my favorite food is salad. 
um, all the Mother's Day cards that I get. Like, we love that your favorite food is salad. And like, it's not actually my favorite food. Like, I actually love a steak and sweet potatoes and a really big garlic knot. But I eat salad because I know what it's going to produce on the other side. So just like mental health, like I know if the good thoughts go in, good actions come out. So it's, it's really a lot more simple than people make it. Um, but that would be kind of the sum totality is like focus on the wholeness factor of how you feel rather than focusing on just a physique. Yeah, so true. And I think sometimes that number on the scale can dictate whether we have a good day or a bad day. And I'm with you. I, I never get on the scale, maybe once a year at the doctor. Yeah. Um, and that's it. Yeah. Because it doesn't, it doesn't matter when you know what your best self is capable of. Um, and so if, if somebody is listening and they're like, well, I don't know what that is. And I do need to track in order for me to get to a specific weight. Like first off, kudos, there's tons of, of grit connected to that season, but I don't think it has to be as difficult as people make it. If you're eating right and it's right for your blood type, I've read that book. It's great. It's right for you because my right is not right for everyone. Um, I've been intermittent fasting for seven years and that was like a massive shift in my body and honestly, the way that I held food and the timing of and connectivity to food, I think would be the biggest thing because I was using food as a suppression mechanism that was then causing me to spiral out into lethargic sleeping um, all hours of the day. And so you have to understand that every other compartment of your life is dictated based on honestly, how you fuel yourself. Yeah. I think the gas that you put in your car matters a lot. And I used to go from a mentality of really restrict and restrict and don't eat this and don't eat that. And, you know, in the nineties, when you fat grams were terrible, I wouldn't eat one. And now just having the approach of it really be, what can I add? So my body runs the best it can. And this has been a big change for me because I used to, when my kids were little, it was diet Mountain Dew and chocolate chips for breakfast. <laughs> No, I did not believe that. Yeah, if anyone can make this change, and I love sugar, I really have to eat right to not crave sugar. Yeah, but I think you know what? If I can do it, anyone can because I really have worked and not to take away that has happened by default, but just to add in like if I add in fruits and vegetables and things that I know are going to fuel my body right, I don't crave the sugar, I don't crave the as much unhealthiness and it falls away kind of by default. It does. It does. I'll tell you my, uh, my addiction was cereal. And it's funny because it was actually like what I would deem healthy cereal. So I love special K. I loved raisin bran. I love, um, just Cheerios. Uh, and I would put like bananas in them. Right. So like, that's healthy. It's like good cholesterol. Right. Isn't that what they put over the Cheerio box? Yeah. But I would literally eat cereal like, um, two to three bowls in the morning. I would, had convinced myself, especially when I was pregnant, that I had to wake up in the middle of the night to eat cereal because I was starving. I was starving in the middle of the night. And so I would literally, my husband would be like, are you okay? And I would just be eating a bowl of cereal. And I mean, just, it's mind boggling that I would do that now. My kids don't have access to cereal, landscape design, uh, because I know the addictiveness of the sugar content connected to that and the milk and all of the stuff that we just don't think about. Because again, society projects breakfast is the healthiest meal of the day. And breakfast is breaking your fast, your natural body's tendency to fast and to fuel. And we're breaking that because the sugar industry wants your money. 
And so it's just this understanding of all of that, that shifted my entire energy towards what's yours, what do I actually need versus what are you saying that you just really want that you think you need? And that goes to every layer too, right? Like we all think we need things and we've been educated, we've been misinformed and it's not actually true. Yeah. Well, you're, you were healthier than I was. I had lucky charms. Those were <laughs> I do love a good lucky charm. <laughs> <laughs> cereal of choice. Yes, I love cereal. And I was so glad that I haven't had it in years, but I had a girlfriend, I was fasting last week um, for spiritual reasons, not physical. And uh, a girlfriend sent me a bowl of cereal and she's like, hey, I was just thinking about you. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm on day three of my fast. That is literally like the arch nemesis of something that I need to see. She's like, I'm so sorry, I had no idea. And I'm like, it's fine, but please don't send me food unless you ask me if I'm fasting first. Yes. <laughs> I actually met a friend recently um, who fasts once a week, one day, every week. What is your thought on that? You know, I think it can be good. Yeah. I actually, when we were opening studios, I did that for one of our studios. Yeah. I would fast one day a week. It connected me to prayer because yeah. it, it snapped me back into it. Yeah. It really, like you said, it wasn't for health reasons. Right. But I do do, I have done, gosh, 24 and 36 hour fast recently yeah. because I know there's inflammation in my body. Yeah. So from a physical standpoint to get rid of some of that from a past surgery, yeah. I have used it as a tool. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. I um, did my first seven day water fast a couple of months ago and the, and now please don't do this unless you're capable of doing it. I, this is not an infomercial for seven day water fast, but it was a spiritual fast and water only. I think I had like throughout the week, three tablespoons of honey, probably on certain days where I was really feeling lethargic. Um, and the first two days I still had coffee in the morning, cup of coffee. Um, but other than that, it was just water. And I remember being like, not paying attention to my body at all. I didn't even look in the mirror that week because I so desperately didn't want anything to be associated to that side of my humanness. I just wanted it to be for my spiritual, emotional, relational well-being, um, and financial. I was, I was praying and circling around some financial things as well. And I heard nothing from God through that week, just in case you were curious. And at, when I finished my fast, I had bone broth and soup. And I remember not being satisfied. I, I was not even hungry. I could have gone many more days. Um, I just was like, well, it's time. And this was my goal. And I'm going to go ahead and have it now. But I remember drinking it and then eating it and being like, oh, my gosh, like, I don't really even need this. And so I don't know that I'll ever do one longer than that because it, in the midst of it was felt really long. But I think that when I got back in the mirror afterwards and I realized the inflammation conversation is real on so many levels, um, I was pleasantly surprised with how I was able to respond and come off of that fast versus some of the fasts where I've done that are shorter that I just right, go right back to my cycle of eating what some of the things that I shouldn't probably eat having my kids' food when it comes out of their lunchbox or eating the muffin that I made them that I wouldn't usually eat. And so, um, yeah, I think if people do safe study around um, practicing a spiritual fast, there's obviously physical responses that are great too, um, but you just want to be mindful of the time because I just did another one and day two, I hit my menstrual cycle. And I didn't know that it wasn't healthy to fast on my menstrual cycle. Day four, I almost collapsed a couple times. 
So I stopped. <laughs> so we have to be really aware of what our bodies are capable of doing and timing and all of that. Absolutely. There's a lady, and I'm forgetting her name, but that is her area of expertise is mm. when in the cycle ladies should fast. And there's Ooh. very specific times that you do or don't. And even for like the 16-8 fast yeah. of when it's ideal and when it's not. Interesting. I need to look that up. If you find her name later, tell me. Yeah, I will. I'll find okay. it because I've listened okay. to her several times. Yeah, it's really good. I'm writing it down so I don't forget. Last couple things as we wrap up. Um, you know, you talk about having found joy and you can see it in you and it's not a mask. But there are people out there who I know are listening that are depressed or realize now, you know what, I am wearing a mask or I feel that pressure to be something I'm not. Yeah. Again, taking us back to being really tactical, what would you tell that person that's either depressed or figuring out they, they need to make some changes? Where, where do you even start? What's one, yeah. one or two things you could do? Yeah, well, I mentioned the food side of things and how that really can affect your depression and anxiety and stress levels. So that would be precursor. Those aren't the two I'm going to hold up tight to now, but just remember that because it really does matter. Um, secondarily, I would say the people that you're around and what you're listening to, um, the voices that are being are speaking into your life. And so doing a diagnostics on who that is and what that is. Um, and really start infiltrating some motivation, infiltrating some mental health or mindset practices um, into your rhythm, whether it's a good podcast that you're listening to, like Be The Person, um, whether it is good music that is of healthy genre and healthy lyrics for you to hear. Um, I'll tell you, I was a country music fan through and through, went to every single concert, the mega ticket every summer here in Virginia Beach area, if you're familiar with it. And uh, you would think it's pretty like, lighthearted. It's pretty really, like freedom, America, drink a good beer, you know, get on a pontoon boat, something like that. But when you really listen to the lyrics and you realize that you will start to memorize these things, your life might actually look like a good country song. And that's not a good thing. So we need to analyze what is it that we're dwelling on on a consistent basis. Um, and then the last part, which I alluded to earlier, uh, would just be play more. How can you play today? And what does play look like to you? I think a lot of times in the messy middle, in the mundane, in this, this place of life where we feel like we have to be serious and we have to do big kid things, we um, don't even know what our passions are. My husband, in the midst of that dreary season that I was sharing with you, he, I remember he kicked up as cool as a cucumber, kicked his feet up a summer table outside of our backyard and had no shoes on. And he reached his hand back behind his head. And he was like, so babe, what would you say you're passionate about? So nonchalantly. And I froze. I was 30, maybe 31 at this point. I had zero answer to his question. I didn't know what I was passionate about. And he's like looking at me. He's like, wait, you're not passionate about pregnant people. You, we just spent all of our life savings on all of these endeavors. You're not passionate about that. I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't passionate about almost every single thing I was pursuing. And I had to rewrite that story in my mind to know, one, I am a creative being. I was created to play and that I have accessibility to reestablish um, uh, uh, elements of play in my life. And so traveling and adventure and art and music and dancing. And I started to infuse those day in and day out 
And it, it changed the trajectory of every relationship in my life. And that joy was naturally evoked. I didn't have to fight for it. I didn't have to look for it. It was just a part of my nature. And so I really encourage you, if you're listening, if you're like, I don't really know what I'm passionate about. Um, I was just on a call with someone and she was like, I ice skate every week. I was like, you ice skate? Like that's, she's 47. That's awesome. Tell me more. And she was like, it just brings me back to center. And I just love it. So I ice skate. I also love the outfits that I get to wear. So I ice skate. I'm like, that's so fun. So there are things that don't have to necessarily be your profession. Um, I also am passionate about pulling those into your profession. I'm like raising my hand. She's a business coach. I'm like, take me ice skating and parallel it to business development. That would be so fun, right? But you don't have to do that. It could just be, do you like to color? Do you like to garden? Do you like to, you know, make songs, write poetry? I like to do all of those things and none of them are right or wrong. It's just evokes joy. That's what we need to do more of because if we're all evoking joy every day, we'd be better neighbors. We'd show up more fully in our professions and our passions. And I think love would then ensue. And that's the answer to a lot of our problems. Yeah. Isn't it crazy that we don't know? That was so me of like, what brings you joy? I don't know. <laughs> Zero idea. And I and my kids were toddlers at the time. And I was, you know, releasing all these titles. And so it just felt like I don't even know who I am. I'm just waking up because I have to. And now I wake up every day because I get to. And no one forces me out of bed. I'm up before the sunrise every morning. And I love that. I love that because I know that there's going to be a fun, adventurous day. This has been fun. This has been adventurous. I love talking. And so it's awesome. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. It was a really good practice for me to probably 15-ish years ago to bring that adventure back. I had a leader of a class talk about Sabbath and it was really, you know, you can take Sabbath biblically or it was really about what brings you joy. Yeah, that's and good. And at the time, I just worked all of the time. Yeah. And I was like, how y'all take a day off? I don't get that. <laughs> and I was cranky when I did. But it has honestly been one of the yes. best practices I've done is take, I try and do a 24-hour. I'm not legalistic about it. Yeah. It's, there's things that come up and, you know, those are fun too. Yeah. But really, like, how can I center it back every week so I know that I'm doing something that brings me joy that is fun? That's good. And I think that for the person who might have that perspective of like, I feel awkward, this doesn't feel normal, um, that wasn't that fun, I don't think I want to keep doing that again, or you feel out of body, I totally get that. I think you're even expressing that a little bit too. When you first start playing, you feel ridiculous. It doesn't feel like it's an intentional time that you could be spending. I'm, I'm a serial entrepreneur, y'all. I want to be developing and building and, and vision casting and stuff all the time, but I can't infuse into those places the same richness that I can unless I've tapped into this other developmental side of myself. And it, it allows you to be free in thought so that you can come back and be better and more strategic in the other areas of your life. So press on past the awkward and just get to the playfulness and then you won't care what other people are thinking about you when you're dancing on the beach and <laughs> worshiping like I do. Yes. Well, speaking of things coming up and things that you've created, you have something big in November. 
Can you share with us about that? I do. So you might have heard just through the symmetry of this conversation, I love um, speaking about faith and helping people understand that they can build a lifestyle on a firm foundation, specifically through entrepreneurship. So it's a place for faith-driven leaders to come and build and dream in a collective safe space. Um, and it's called the FounderCon. So you can go to thefoundercollective.org and check everything out. Um, the FounderCon is, this is its third annual experience and the longevity of what it's going to become. Um, not only are we a mobilized church, so every Wednesday we come for a refuel, um, similar to conversations like this, but everyone gets to share about the things they're walking through as a leader, the things that are um, causing friction in their faith life or their prayer life, perhaps things that they need um, help on. And we come together as a cohort and it's basically a focus group every single week. Um, so you can listen to our podcast if you want. It's called the Founder Collective Podcast. And yeah, it'll be a party. I love play. I love surprises. So when people come to the conference, they don't get to know all of the fun details until it unravels and unfolds. Um, but it allows us to stay grounded in the process. So I would invite anybody who wants to come. You can also come virtually. We have a really special virtual experience this year that we've never had in the past um, that we're excited about. So you can get those tickets now. I would highly um, recommend it, of course, and appreciate meeting you guys in person. That sounds so amazing. I love that you do that. And again, you've mentioned a few of them, but remind us the best way to connect with you. Yeah, so I hang out most on Instagram. Um, I do have my book, Always Becoming, available right now for pre-order at Barnes & Noble. And would really appreciate you grabbing it there versus other places. Um, it's a publishing world. I have a publishing house. So there's strategy behind everything, right? Um, but yeah, I would say Instagram is where I'm at the most. I and mean, then you can tune into my Fit and Faith podcast, which is where I have conversations and amazing people like you on the show to be able to share their stories and to equip the people who are listening um, into propelling into their greatest version of themselves. Awesome. And I'll make sure I put all of those links in our show notes. Um, for the conference, for you, your book, and where to order. So thank you so much. I so appreciate you taking your time to share with us today. It's been a joy. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you all for tuning in to Be The Person podcast. It would mean the world to me if you gave us a five-star review. And don't forget to hit the follow so you never miss an episode.